Masechet Nedarim, Daf Bet. Very exciting to start this Masechet. A few words of introduction. First of all, the commentaries. If you look at the Surat Hadaf in the Vilna, you'll see it looks uh, somewhat different from usual. Um, there is a Rashi here, but uh, in the place of Tosafot, we have the Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim. Uh, and Tosafot instead is pushed all the way out to the edge. Uh, that's number one. Second of all, even though this says it's Rashi, actually already uh, Bet Yosef, Rav Yosef Karo, the Chida, many others have pointed out that this is not authentically actually by Rashi. We don't know who wrote this commentary, uh, so we we usually just call it Hamifaresh, the one who explains it. That's already the Bet Yosef calls it that. So that's very interesting. It's not clear if Rashi wrote a commentary on this. It seems he probably did, but we don't have it. And so we have the Mifaresh here instead. Um, uh, and because uh, because of that, Dadan has in fact replaced him. So when most people learn Masech and Nedarim, instead of going straight to the standard Rashi, Dadan uh, has become the standard commentary. Uh, so this is the kind of primary commentary, and then uh, we'll look at other ones afterwards. Okay, so that's the uh, number one interesting uh, difference between this Masechet and many others. In addition, the Geonim themselves uh, say that this Masechet Nedarim was not studied in the regular curriculum in the Geonic Yeshivot. Okay, that itself is interesting. And third is the terminology and style of the Talmud itself. Forget the commentaries. The actual Talmud uses for different vocabulary, different style of questions and answers than other Masechtot. And this has already been pointed out by many people. Uh, why is that? One proposal is that this Masechet was edited in a different yeshiva in Bavel than most other Masechtot of the Talmud Bavli. So this is really fascinating. We'll point out one example of a different terminology already on this very daf. Okay, so we're dealing with um, a, a very unique, very special Masechet in its, in its form, but also its content is very interesting about Nedarim. So a couple of words about that. Uh, to make a vow, uh, this is a very serious thing. Our words have meaning. Uh, the Torah says, if you make a vow, you have to keep it. Uh, here's the basic Torah law comes from Sefer B'Midbar. Chapter 30, We'll talk about the difference between Neder and Shebu'ah. If he says such a formula to prohibit something to himself, his word should not be chol, should not be taken lightly, like secular, but rather they are they have great import. Um, and everything he says that comes out of his mouth, one should fulfill. So just like there are commandments in the Torah that Hashem gives us, so too one can attach one's words and give them holiness so that you can actually create a prohibition on oneself. So words are very significant, not to be taken lightly, especially when uh, said in the different formula that we're going to talk about. Now, uh, we'll talk about what difference between Shavuah and Neder uh, in the Talmud itself. Quick intro. Shavuah is generally a statement about myself, that I will uh, exercise tomorrow, I will not uh, go to the bar, whereas a Neder is about an object, 
this piece of bread is prohibited to me. Okay, so it might uh, end up being a very similar outcome if I say I'm not going to eat eat this bread or this bread is prohibited to me. Nevertheless, the focus of attention is different um, and it can have uh, consequences. Um, but within Nedir, which is what we're going to focus on here, there are two types of Nedir. One is a sacrificial. If I take uh, see an animal and I take this animal, I say this animal will be a Korban then that becomes holy. I have to actually bring it to the Bet HaMikdash and I'm going to have to sacrifice it. Um, or I could make a, any item, uh, a korban or cherem. If it's not a sac, if it's not an animal that can be sacrificed, it means I'll have to donate the amount of money of that item to the Bet HaMikdash. So these are all temple-based nedarim. That is not what our Masechet is about. Those temple types of Nedarim will be spoken about in Seder Kodashim, not here. Rather, we're talking about the second type of Nedar, which is prohibitive, Isur. I'm creating a personal prohibition. Um, so if I say this bread is prohibited to me, or this bread is like a Korban, I'm not actually making it a Korban. I don't have to bring it to the Bet HaMikdash. It just means that um, making a comparison. Just like a korban is prohibited to anyone, we're talking about before the blood is sprinkled. After you do the whole process, after you process and sacrifice the uh, the animal and sprinkle the blood, then depending on what type it is, the, the leftovers can be eaten by kohanim or can be eaten by everyone. So we're talking about sacrifices before the sprinkling of the blood are prohibited to everyone. Uh, so I'm saying that this bread will be like a korban in the sense as prohibited. It doesn't make it holy. It doesn't mean I have to bring it to the Beit HaMikdash. Just I can't eat it. Someone else can go ahead and eat it. Okay, so that's the type of neder that we're going to focus on. What is this doing in Seder Nashim? What does it have to do with women? Well, uh, nothing specifically. The laws of the Nedarim apply equally to men and women. However, we did see already in Masechet Ketubot that there were often women that would make a lot of vows and the men didn't like it and they made a condition. Listen, I'm not going to marry you if you have a lot of vows. Um, so this was already, uh, we already saw that this is something that many people did, women and men. Uh, would uh, not be careful with vows. The rabbis weren't happy with that. You shouldn't make vows all the time. But just like today, sometimes you find people that curse a lot, sailors, whatever. Uh, uh, so two people then, so also people back then, you know, anytime in business or when they're walking around, whatever, they, they keep swearing about different things. So this was a reality and that was already reflected in Ketubot. Furthermore, there is one uh, part of it that is specific to women, which is that um, a woman's nedarim can be undone, hafarat nedarim, uh, annulled by her father when she's young or by her husband when she's married. The last chapter of Masechet Nedarim will be about that topic. So since there is an aspect of it that is special to women, so that's why this Masechet is here in, um, in uh, Seder Nashim. All right, the opening Mishnah is going to talk about three different types of formulas for making a vow. One is just a regular neder, straightforward, and that can be done itself in two ways, either directly saying, this bread is prohibited to me. Okay, then it's prohibited. Or by association, if I say this bread is like a sacrifice, that is another way of doing it. Okay, so both of those are direct, um, uh, direct statements. But 
Um, people often would not want to say a whole direct statement to say like a korban. They don't want to say the word korban, and so people would come up with nicknames for for these various uh, words. So they wouldn't have to say the actual holy word. Um, kind of like today, if you don't want to say uh, damn, you say darn. If you don't want to say hell, you say heck, right? And uh, it's kind of, even though you want to say um, a strong word, a curse word, but it's uh, too dangerous to say the actual word. And so we replace it, even though we replace it, but the replacement has the same meaning as the original word and therefore is also effective if you use that kind of kinui that nickname in a vowel formula, then the vowel still is, uh, is still valid. And the third category is what's called a yad or an abbreviation. I don't say the whole formula, you know, this bread is prohibited to me. I just say this bread, right? Or if I eat this bread, and I don't say that it is prohibited. Uh, so that's called a yad, like a, a handle, just like if I want to pick up a pot, I could pick up the handle and then the pot comes with it. So too, in certain cases, if I just say the a part of a full formula, and it's obvious that what uh, that I mean, the whole thing, that also will um, uh, create a valid prohibition, an actual vow. All right, so those are the words of introduction. And now let's begin with the first Mishnah. Kol nedarim kindarim. Any, uh, uh, any nickname for a neder is like an actual neder, even if you don't say the actual thing. So the regular formula would be direct, or you say like a korban, but people didn't want to say korban, so they would say other things like konam, konach, konas. The Mishnah here does not uh, say all these words. Later Mishnayot are going to uh, elaborate on this. Now that's true for nedarim. Since we're talking about nedarim, we're going to talk about other types of formulas like vachadamim, kachadamim, ushvot, kishvot, unzirut, kenzirut. A cherem, cherem is also a temple formula. This will be a cherem. It means it will be um, dedicated to the Bet Hamikdash, but it can also be used um, as uh, making a personal prohibition. This is cherem to me. This bread. Um, if I say that directly, that is a normal thing. If I say it indirectly, I say other words instead of cherem, like cherek, cheref. Uh, people didn't want to say cherem. If they substitute that, it also effectuates the vowel. Now, a shivua is a different type, as we saw, is a uh, obligation on the person, not on the thing. But a shivua also, people didn't always say that ani uh, nishba, a shivua upon me, but they might say shivuta, shikuka, right? Other types of language, other language that they replace uh, with it. This was um, a very popular thing to do. One interesting thing about this masechet, um, a lot of it is actually not theoretical, unlike some other topics where the, the rabbis are coming up with theoretical cases to test out, uh, to test out uh, principles. Here, uh, it seems that in real life, Many people were making vows and they didn't want to say the actual word. And so they replaced it with these, all, all these kinds of uh, um, uh, nicknames. Okay, unzirut kenizirot. If someone was says, had any nazir, that's the normal way to say, I, am, I declare myself a nazir. But they might not want to say that word. They say nazik, naziach, paziach, right? All kinds of other words that became associated uh, as synonyms for nazir. Someone says that, I am a paziach then he's also going to be a Nazir. Okay, so 
so far, we, the Mishnah, if you notice, did not actually give any examples. I was looking at the Rambam and his examples. The examples of the uh, of substitute words actually are going to come up in later, uh, in later Mishnayot or in Masech Nazir for Nazir. Uh, so, uh, 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 but it just stated as a title: these are, any kinui is for Nedarim is like Nedarim, and so too for these other categories of statements. Now, the next examples are not going to be examples of kinuyim, but rather examples of yadot, of the abbreviations. Someone says, I am avowed from you. I'm separated from you. I'm distancing from you. Um, whatever I eat of yours, whatever I taste of yours. So he didn't say is prohibited, right? And so he didn't use any language of prohibition or like a korban or anything like that. But we know what he means, right? You can tell from the context. They get into a fight. It says anything I eat from yours. And then da 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 is going to be prohibited to me like a korban. And so even if he only says the abbreviation, still it's prohibited. The Talmud is going to wonder, how come in the title of the Mishnah, it starts off with a title about substitute kinuyim, and only later in the next Mishnah, we're going to actually uh, uh, give examples of it. And But in the title, doesn't say anything about yad. And yet, in this very Mishnah, it gives examples of abbreviations, Yad, but doesn't, uh, doesn't give any abri- uh, examples of Kinui right here. So it seems to be a mit- mismatch in uh, starting off the title is, here are Kinuyim, and then give exam- examples of Yad. The Gemara will address that. Someone says, I am ostracized, excommunicated uh, from you. Now, he's not actually making an excommunication. You need a betin to officially excommunicate someone. But he's, again, he's making a neder. It's as if I'm excommunicated from you. I Everything you have is prohibited to me. And then, by the way, you can go in two ways. I can say that this item that I own, you cannot benefit from, or I can say about anything in the world that I it's prohibited to me. But I do have to have either I own the item, or it has to be that I'm the one that can't have it. So if I use a, 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 this word, minude, you are excommunicated, I'm excommunicated to you. Is that the? Does, it's not a normal way. So does that make a a, a neder? Rebbe Akiva wasn't sure, but he said, ah, ah, maybe. And he said, and he was stringent that yes, it's it. Uh, we are going to consider it as a vow. All right, that is the Mishnah. The opening uh, sugya, like the opening sugya in many Masechtot and even many Pedakim, is going to be very technical about the language and structure of the Mishnah. Uh, so this is probably uh, a later sugya. In other words, there we're not going to find uh, na- names of Amoraim here. So this is from the Stamaim, from the editors of the Talmud. Um, and, uh, uh, um, but it does serve as a kind of introduction to it. As we're going to see, this, even though it's, it seems like it's talking about very technical language of the Mishnah, is actually using this question and answer in order to introduce some very basic concepts and sources about Nedarim. So the oath, first question is called Kinuyene Darim Kindarim. Maishina Gabe Nazir, de Lokatani Lehulekulahu, or Maishina Gabe Nedarim, de Katani Lekulahu. The Gemara is wondering how come in Masechet Nazir, which is going to be the next Masechet we study, 
study, it says, you see, a very similar opening. Any uh, substitute language of, uh, of uh, being a Nazir is the same as being a Nazir. And then it just goes on and gives other examples. Nazir, Nazir, Nazik, Nazir, Paziach, right? These are all Nazir. Uh, so uh, what you see is that this focuses only on Nazir. It doesn't bring in Neder, Shibu'ah, Cherem, right? So how come over there it focuses only on the uh, one topic? And yet, in our Mishnah, it brings in lots of topics. Um, so what's the, what's the reason? Uh, Sakam and Nazir, it does not mention other, other ones. And here, our, in ours, regarding the Darim, it also brings in these other categories of obligation. Uh, so the reason is because in the Pasuk that we learn Neder from, it says, Hidor Neder, Ohishaba, Shibua. So since in the very Pasuk, the source, it brings Neder and Shibua, so we're going to bring those two together. And once we bring two of them, we're going to bring all the other types of uh, of languages of prohibition. Whereas Nazir, which is earlier Perik Vav in Bemidbad, uh, is, doesn't mention the others. So that's a self-contained unit. Okay, so since we mentioned two, we're going to mention all of them. Fine, but if primarily you want to bring, you brought Nedarim, and then you brought Shavuot because right next to it in the Pasuk, then in the Mishnah also we should bring Nedarim and then Shavuot right after. And then after they say, oh, we mentioned two of them, we'll mention the others. Why does it interrupt with Haramim? Uh, should say Shavuot right away, immediately after Nedarim, and the answer is, I did a Tana Nedarim de Mitzad Hafsa Ale, Tana Namacharamim de Mitzad Hafsa Ale, La Puke Shibua de Kasa Nafshe Min Hafsa. This is a very important statement that since I mentioned Nedarim, where it's the actual object that becomes forbidden to me, I want to mention Hiram also, which effectuates the same thing. It's the object that is the, is the uh, location of the prohibition pro- prohibited to me. And so those are conceptually more similar. Uh, whereas a Shavu'ah is different because the Shavu'ah, I, I am putting the prohibition on myself. I am prohibited to this item. And so that's uh, so that therefore, since conceptually it's more different, that's why we put it there. Okay, this is the the main source here where we have the difference between uh, a sur hefsa and gavra, uh, which the Talmud does say explicitly here. It is a useful concept, and that's why uh, later on, especially the briskers apply this to lots of different things to see um, in other cases which one it is. But the source of that um, uh, distinction comes from right here. Okay. Uh, so now we have a question about the structure of the Mishnah. In the title, it talks about kinui, substitutes. But then when it gives examples, it gives examples only of abbreviations. It doesn't have any examples yet in this Mishnah. It's going to come in later Mishnayot. And furthermore, did they forget about the abbreviations in the title? Right, you should have said in the title. Um, uh, you know, these are abbreviations. Yadot and kinuyim are like nedarim, and then give examples of each. So, why is the yadot missing in the title, and how come the kinuyim are missing in the examples, at least the immediate examples right here? 
And the answer is, Aidi Behon, Vehasureme Hasera, Vahi Ketani, Kol Kenuyen Darim Kindarim, Vidot Darim Kindarim. Now it is talking about it, the Mishnah is dealing with it, and there's missing words in the Mishnah. Here's how you should read the Mishnah uh, as follows All the Kinuyim of Nedarim are like Nidurim, the substitute words. And the abbreviations also, so we, in other words, they were adding it in to the title. In fact, the title does say Akinuyim and then Yadot. This is an example, by the way, of some of the uh, unusual vocabulary that's found in this mish- uh, in this um, in this Masechet. Um, this uh, Yadot Inche and then Ayri Behon. Uh, normally, we would expect in um, in most other places Masechtot uh, in uh, um, you'd expect uh, the language Mandachar Sheme, right? Who Yadot Mandachar Sheme? Who mentioned anything about Yadot? That all of a sudden you're saying something about Yadot. So you find that in other places, this is a different type of terminology. All right, so that's one, just one of many, many indications that this Masechet may have been from um, a, a, its source was um, edited by a different yeshiva in Bavel than others. Um, uh, 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 Epstein uh, thinks that this one is from Suda and the other was uh, other Masechtot were from other, other yeshivot. Okay, anyway, uh, so the answer here is that, yes, in fact, we're going to fix the title, and the title's going to have Kinuyim, and then Yadot as well. So now the question is, If it mentioned Kinuyim first, and only then Yadot in the Mishnah, so then it should give examples of Kinuyim first, right? You go, you know, in the title you have A and B, and then in the explanation you should have A and B. Like in, uh, you know, an essay, you say, I'm going to prove my point from A, B, and C, and then you have a paragraph about A, then B, then C. You should go in order. So how come you don't go in order? Um, so the Gemara answer is actually lots of Mishnayot do not go in A B A B order, uh, but rather go in A B B A order. A chiasm. For example, Often the Mishnah, whatever it ended with, that's what it will start with. In a title, it'll say A B. So it ended. It ended the the uh, the, the title with B, and uh, then it'll say, okay, now I'm going to give examples. I'll start with the thing I just ended on. So B A. For example, we've got three examples of Mishnayot. Kiditnan um, so the title is what kinds of uh, lamps uh, can you use uh, for to light Shabbat candles and what can you not use uh, for lamps and so since it mentioned en madikin second so in the examples it, start, it starts with those uh, those items that's an ABBA structure or another Mishnah, Bameh Tomnin, Bameh En Tomnin, En Tomnin Vechuleh, on Shabbat you uh, are allowed to insulate food um, uh, with regular insulation, but not with insulation that's going to add more heat to it. And there it's also, it's a A, B, then it starts with B, and only later it goes to A structure. Uh, what is a woman allowed to carry? Wear, uh, rather, out in public domain as not considered carrying. And what is she not allowed to wear? And then it goes on, it gives examples of what she's not allowed to wear. So you see, very often, it happens to be all these are from Masechet Shabbat. But, okay, they're in the Mishnah, and so many examples where the Mishnah uses an A-B-B-A structure. And so to here, it'll say in the title, Kinuyim, and then Yadot. And then it'll start with Yadot and give examples of Yadot and go on in the next Mishnah. 
it will talk about examples of kinuyim. So that's uh, that's a fine answer. Here's the problem. There's a lot of other mishnayot that do not use a chiasm, but rather have a regular A, B, A, B structure. And there actually seems to be, uh, we have we had three examples of those. Here we're now we're going to quote five examples of Mishnayot that follow A, B, A, B structure. Is it true that any time it opens with A, it does not explain A first, but rather explains B first? Is not true. Uh, regarding inheritance, there are some cases where uh, the, a person who inherits also bequeaths, like a father and son, they um, inherit from each other. But some inherit by but do not bequeath like a son and a mother. And then it goes and gives examples of the first one, no chalinu manchilin, so it's A, B, A, B structure. Or another example, yesh mutarot lebaalehen vasurot libemehen. Mutarot libemehen vasurot lebaalehen. Ver mutarot lebaalehen vasurot libamehen. Uh, in some cases, there's a woman who's permitted to her husband, even though she will be pro- prohibited to the Yavama, like if they're all Kohanim, but the, uh, but the Yavam. The Yavam is a Kohen Gadol. And so even though she was permitted to the husband when he died, she's a widow, she's prohibited to the Kohen Gadol. Or uh, the other way around, she may, she may be uh, pro- prohibited to her husband, if he's the Kohen Gadol, but when he dies, then he, she is permitted to the Yavam. So there are examples both ways, but it starts with A, B, and then it gives examples of A. Another uh, example, Yesh teunot shemen ulvona, shemen velo levona, velo teunot shemen ulvona, regarding menachot, meal offerings, some of them require oil and frankincense. Some of them require oil, but no frankincense. And here's the example, uh, examples of there's those that require uh, oil and frankincense. A B A B structure. Another one. Yes, teunot hagasha and teunot tenufa. Tenufa velo hagasha velu teunot hagasha. Also from menachot. Some meal offerings require bringing them to the mizbeach, but they do not require waving them right up and down, back and forth. Whereas some require waving, but do not require bringing to the bet, bringing to the mizbeach. And then it says, and these are the ones that require Hagasha bring to Mizbech. So A B, A B structure. Yesh Bechol Nachala Ven Bechola Kohen. Bechola Kohen Ven Bechol Lenachala Vehu Bechol Nachala and Ze Bechol La Kohen. A final example. There are some who are firstborn for inheritance, but not a firstborn for that they have to give it to a Kohen for Pijon Haben. If they uh, a firstborn is uh, for to the father, then that that's how you decide inheritance is the firstborn to the father. Um, but regarding Pijon Haben, that goes by the mother, right? A mother is only uh, going to have one firstborn that will be um, that will you have to do Pijon Haben, which is actually quite interesting. Sometimes people say that Pijon Haben is a once in a lifetime uh, mitzvah. It's not actually true. It's once in a lifetime for a couple. Or and for a woman, but a father he can father one bechor one son if it's his wife's firstborn and he has a second wife and it's also her firstborn then he can have uh, do pijon aben twice. So anyway, the status of uh, of the firstborn for inheritance goes by the first of the father. The status of the firstborn for pijon aben goes by has to be the firstborn from the mother's womb. And then so that goes a b vezu and then it goes back to a. So here we have a whole bunch of cases where it goes 
A, B, A, B. And so, how come in our Mishnah, we don't do the same thing and do Kinuyim Yadot, and then explain Kinuyim first? Okay, the answer is, Halahen, Halen, Mishum Davshule, Mefareshahu, Patach Beresha. That's going to give a general uh, reason. All those first three examples, where it goes A, B, B, A, were very simple. There was only one uh, category to deal with, yes or no. In that case, it flows more smoothly to say, it's very good. However, in these five examples, that we had complex terms. Uh, you have, what should the Bechor for Nachala, but not Bechor Kohen? So even this first phrase has two items, and then, you, then the other, and more items. Uh, all of these examples were complex. Nochalin and Manchilin. Nochalin and not Manchilin. So in, that, in those cases, because there are more than, there's many terms in the, in the yes and then the no, each, each of those uh, clauses has multiple terms, so then it will be confusing if you go in A, B, B order, right? Because it's too many things to keep in mind. So you want to say A, right? Um, got that. B is Okay, got that. So let me remind you again of the example examples that we're about to bring, which is the So in complex terms, you have to go in A, B, A, B order is more clear. All right, so that seems like that that uh, rule would explain everything that we had above. But hold on, we have an exception to this rule. Um, back to Masechet Shabbat. Um, in what what can an animal wear out when it's going out in public? And what can uh, it not wear? Because you're afraid that people will go and, and take it off and carry it. Um, so that's a simple term. And yet it says, Yotze Gamal. It goes A, B, A, B, even though there's only one term. And according to your rule, it should have been a, a chiastic structure. Okay, after all that, we conclude that, you know what? Uh, there's no rule for it. Sometimes the Mishnah uh, starts off, explains first that which with be, with began, and sometimes it does the uh, chiastic structure. What it last said, that's what it starts with. And it doesn't really matter. You could do it this way, you could do it that way, and both are just regular styles that are found in the Mishnah. And therefore, in our case, uh, remember, our Mishnah does, actually only says kinuyim, but we said it's missing words. So with the added words, it says kinuyim yadot in the title, and then it goes a b again, and then yadot, and then it goes b a in chiasm and gives examples of yadot, and then later it'll give examples of kinuyim. So very good. This is um, a satisfactory answer. But if you want another one, or maybe it wanted to give examples of Yadot because how do we know that Yadot work? It's from a rabbinic derivation of a pasuk. We're going to see the derivation tomorrow. Uh, but as something that we derive from a rabbinic derivation is more beloved than something that is explicit in the Torah. Uh, something explicit in the Torah, okay, good, everybody knows. It certainly has more authority if it's explicit in the Torah, that's true. But we want to kind of show off the rabbinic uh, derivation, creativity, 
Um, and so therefore, the rabbis like to put the, uh, the one that's derived first, the examples of that. Okay, fine. That's why we explain the Yadot first. Hold on. If that's the case, then why not in the title also mention Yadot first? Because if it's beloved and you want to show the rabbinic innovation, so in the title do Yadot and then Kinuyim. And then the examples also do Yadot and then Kinuyim. How come in the title you would do the other way around? Um, the answer is Miftach Patach Bikinuyim Doraita Bedesha Vadal Mefadesh Yadot Datyan Le Midarasha. Oh no, in the in the title the Tal now wanted to start off with the uh, substitute words, with the nickname words, because that is in the Torah. Torah actually does not ever say that you can use substitute words, nicknames. But the point is that it's kind of obvious, right? If you're making an edit and you're saying ke korban or you say another word, that means the same thing. Uh, you don't even have, it's so obvious. It's like, it's like in the Torah itself. The Torah is talking about any word that you're actually saying that has that meaning. Uh, so it's not, doesn't, the Torah doesn't say, ever say kinuyim are okay. Okay, but anyway, we're talking about, talking, we're going to introduce something that's from the Torah itself first, and only then we will introduce the uh, things that we derived from a derashah. The idea in this answer is that in the introduction of the, the title of the Mishnah, we want to talk about that which is in the Torah first, and not only that which is in Torah, also the one that we derived, the, the Yadot, Kinuyim Yadot. But in the actual explanation of examples, the Yadot are more beloved because uh, these are from a, a derivation of the rabbis. So we'll do the examples from Yadot first and only then the uh, examples from Kinuyim. So that's the reason for that. Would It should be that it, it is, it should be an A, B, B, A structure. A, B going from Torah to the Rabbanan because you have to know Torah first and then to say, oh, the Rabbanan is derived from. But the actual examples, we want to show off that which the rabbis have uh, added, and only then go back to what the Torah said. All right, so that explains um, the Mishnah as reconstructed, because we had to add in the word Yadot to it. Uh, but if you do that, Kinuim Yadot that we added, and then Yadot Kinuim, fine. Now we're going to relate this to another Machloket that's coming up in a while. You see, by the way, how this opening sugya uh, includes so much fundamental information. This Machloket about what, where do Kinuim come from? Do they come from popular language or from the sages themselves? That's what we're going to see here. We quoted the Deoraita, we quoted the Pasuk, where it comes from. We saw the difference, uh, fundamental difference, uh, conceptual difference between Nedarim and uh, Shivuot, right? Every line back and forth here, we talk about in general the, the, the style of Mishnayot. So you see this one sugya, even though it looks like it's talking about very technical language, why do you do this first, that second, actually is introducing major themes uh, throughout the, that will come up throughout the Masechet. Okay, so um, if you say Lashon Nochrim, Nochrim here doesn't mean non-Jews, but rather non-Rabbis. Uh, these nicknames, did they um, came, come up spontaneously by people? People themselves, they never asked the rabbi. They just they didn't want to say the, the word Korban, so they said Kunam. And does it come from popular language? If so, then it's obvious that they would be effective. The reason why is because regarding the darim, when we want to analyze the language, what is what is that? What did he mean when he said you know some ambiguous language? We go out in the street and we see how people are using language. Uh, the the language of nadarim goes by popular usage because that's what people mean. It has to follow their intention. And so if it comes from the the general street and this is how people are talking, then for sure nicknames will be valid. 
And then that would make sense to say nicknames first, because those are just basic fundamental Doraita. And only then we um, then talk about the Yadot that are from a Dirasha, and then examples of the Dirasha and then the basic. Fine, that example, that, that explanation is fine. But there's another opinion we're going to see later on that these nicknames are actually created by the sages. Uh, so to keep people away from using God's name, uh, if people are going to say this is going to be a korban, la Hashem, and they say God's actual name, and then they, they misrepresent the formula. So we don't want them to do that. So it's the rabbis that introduced these formula, but they're not actually popular language. In that case, the kinuyim, like the yadot, are both rabbinic derivations, rabbinic innovations. And if that's the case, then this answer doesn't make sense because this answer is predicated on the difference that you want to do the oraita, the rabbanan, uh, as an introduction, and then give examples of the rabbanan and then the oraita. Not that they're actually the rabbanan, they're derived from the Torah, right? So peshat, derived, derived, um, and then the, the ones that are explicit, uh, Peshat, right? But if they're all the same level, then the answer before doesn't make sense. So final answer, according to the, the one that says, Lashon Chachamim, Mikatani Yadot, actually our Mishnah doesn't even say the word Yadot. We added it in, remember? Didn't we say it was incomplete? We put it in. So once you're putting it in, you can put it in anywhere. Akdem Name Utene Yadot. So put it in first. And, and our reconstructed Mishnah can read as follows. Kol yedot nedarim kindarim. Kol kinuye nedarim kindarim. All abbreviations of nedarim are like nedarim. And all nicknames of nedarim are also like nedarim. Ve'eluhen yedot ha'melecha bero. Ve'eluhen kinuyim konam konach konas. And so then it goes in A, B, A, B structure. First it, says, uh, first it gives yadot and then nedarim. And then it'll give examples. And these are the yadot. Someone who says to his friend, all, uh, everything, uh, all your food, anything I eat from you. And then it'll give examples of kinuyim afterwards. And so we can uh, come full circle and say, really, we, we could have put it in, in the beginning. What you see from here is that the fact that we added it in before, right, this, the, the whole question that we were dealing with the entire daf was really not such a question because we put in the word, the rabbis put in the word yadot, into the Mishnah, and so if you had a problem with the order, you could have easily put it first, and so right, you could have just answered this to begin with. What you see is that the questions and answers here are not for the for the goal of we really had this question we couldn't figure out an answer but rather it's going through the exercise um, because by going through the exercise we get to pick out uh, a lot of these fundamental principles along the way uh, differences between uh, between uh, uh, um, the yadot and kinuyim their um, their derivation do they come from the language of rabbis or the people uh, the pesukim and so on last point this I this machloket which we will talk about later on, does it come from the people or from the rabbis, these other nicknames. Uh, this was written about by Professor Saul Lieberman, um, and he shows uh, lots of examples, even from non-Jewish or so Greeks. Uh, Greek people used to make vows and, and, uh, have, uh, and the languages that the Jews and the Talmud quotes as Jews is using is, has interesting parallels to language, to the types of formulas that the um, pagans also used when they used the, had their language. In other words, the people are in the streets and they hear their neighbors saying things in Greek and then they are, you know, just like language influences people, so too.
to the common usage of language certainly is influenced by people's surroundings. Therefore, um, Lieberman concludes that all of these various nicknames uh, and uh, formulas that we're going to see were in actual usage by the people that they came up with. They didn't want to use the holy words, and so even though they wanted to make a vow, so they came up with all, all of these other words, just like, you know, in English or any other language, pretty much any curse word, you can find that there are variations of it. Nevertheless, the rabbis came and tried to legislate regarding them and say, well, there's lots of different uh, formulas people are using. Which of them are valid and which of them are not valid? So it is actually a combination of the community, regular masses of people doing one thing, and then the rabbis trying to uh, uh, trying to legislate, well, what's the consequences if you say this, if you say that, when is it a valid vow, and when is it not? Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen v'Amen.